0: When I was a kid, I used to uh, love when we'd go on vacation or when we would go, except for the vacation I talked about last week, but uh, if you were here, you'll get that. Um, or, or anytime I was going to go on a camping trip with my, my dad and my brother, or we were getting ready to go with the Boy Scouts, I just would get really excited because one of my favorite things to do um, as a control freak was to take out the map and to plan our route. I love just getting out the map and seeing, okay, where are we we going? Like, where is the end point, and how are we going to get there? Um, This is the map that my wife and I bought when we moved from Belton, uh, Texas. If I can open this up all the way without tearing it, it's kind of old. It was 10 years ago. So we moved from Belton, Texas, just north of here in Austin, all the way up, to Massachusetts. This was our time that we served as foreign missionaries. Uh, If you've ever been in the Northeast, you know it's about as foreign as you can get from Texas. But I love planning our route, like are we going to go through New York City, are we going to go through Ohio, how are we going to get there, what's going to be the way that we get there. And the roadmap is perfect because it tells you exactly where you need to go and how to get there. Last week we started a series in the book of Philippians um, called Joyride. Because the entire book of Philippians is about living the Christian life and overwhelmingly Paul says that the Christian life should be characterized by joy. 16 times in just four short little chapters he uses this idea of joy or rejoice or be glad. And then in the first chapter we saw that the the very first step and getting on the ride of your life and experiencing that kind of joy that God wants you to experience starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Paul had that settled. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. And so were the Philippians that he was writing to. And he's reminding them of their faith in Jesus Christ and how this should bring them joy. Remember, Paul, had, he was writing this letter from prison. He'd been beaten. He'd been uh, flogged. He'd been stoned to the point of death. He was left for dead. He'd been shipwrecked. Yet no matter what happens, he's able to write this letter about being joyful and having joy. Because Paul understood that this life wasn't all there is. He had something that he was looking forward to, and so he knew that no matter what happened, even if it meant his death, that he was going to be united with Christ someday. He was going to stand and be with God in heaven, and for him, that brought him great peace and great joy, knowing that someday I'm going to stand with God in heaven. But he said, he, in verse 26, I believe it is last week, 21 through 26, he says, look, if, if I am going to go on living, it's going to mean fruitful labor for me. I'm going to work for the gospel. And what we saw last week is that as believers, we get our joy from being single-minded. And that single-minded focus is on Christ and the gospel. 16, 17 times in this chapter, first chapter, Paul uses the word Christ. Five times he re- references the gospel. You think there was something on his mind in one chapter? to use the same word over and over and over again. He's got one thing on his mind, and he's reminding the Philippians, keep this at the forefront of your mind. This is what needs to be your focus. Now, what he's not saying is you need to sit down and just have Bible studies and prayer meetings and sing songs off the Christian radio. Like, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying everything that you do, no matter what it is you do, no matter how mundane the daily activity, everything that you do at the forefront of your mind ought to be the gospel and Jesus Christ. And how do I bring God glory through this? So, moms, dads, as you're taking your kids to soccer practice or baseball practice, you're not just going to soccer practice and baseball practice. You're headed to the mission field. Like on your way, you need to be praying, God, which of these parents do I need to connect with? Like, is there a mom who's just really struggling with their, their soon-to-be teenage boy that, that I just need to pray for and just let her know that it's going to be okay? Like, if she needs to cry, I just need to let her know it's okay to cry. Like, he's on the field. He can't see you. It's all right. Or maybe there's, there's a parent that, that I just need to have a spiritual conversation with. When I'm on my way into the office, maybe I, I need to pray through God. Is there someone new here that, that I just need to take to lunch and get to know them a little bit better? Or I need to try to grab coffee when they're grabbing their coffee and ask them how their, their kids are doing? Just ask how things are going at home? Is there one of my neighbors that that I've noticed his, his wife isn't around anymore? Like, I don't see his wife anymore. Should I go over and just, when he's outside cutting his grass, walk over and say, I've noticed your wife's not here anymore. just want to see if everything's okay. I mean, these are the kinds of things that are just everyday types of things, but when you put yourself in that mindset that that the gospel is everything, that I'm going to be single-minded focus, your perspective changes. Because you realize that in the end, there's only one thing that matters. And that's where someone spends eternity. And we may have that settled for ourselves, but there's something that brings joy about seeing other people come to that place as well. And so Paul tells us that, man, if, you, if you're single-minded, focused on the on Christ and the gospel, that's going to be the ride of your life. And now Paul gives us the roadmap to joy in chapter 2. This is what we're going to see in chapter 2 is the roadmap to joy. He lays it out and he says, look, I don't want to just tell you what you're striving for. I'm going to show you how to get there. I'm going to lay it out for you. I'm going to give you this roadmap so that you'll know how you can get there. He starts in... Uh, let me just kind of spoil this for you. Spoiler alert, all right? The whole chapter is about one thing. The roadmap to joy begins with a submissive mind. This whole chapter is about having a submissive mindset, right? The first chapter is about being single-minded. This chapter is about having the submissive mind. You have to submit your mind to God, God's will and his purposes. Once you do that, you begin to be on the roadmap for joy. Uh, and, and Paul actually... Three different ways he characterizes this roadmap to joy. Let's start in verse 1 and begin to look at this. We're going to see three characteristics of the submissive mind. Three characteristics of the submissive mind. Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. He says, if, all right, now let's stop there. All right, we've got one word in and we're going to stop. So if, so these things that Paul is getting ready to list, these are not conditional things. What Paul is getting ready to say, these are certain things. These are things that Paul is certain of that are true of the Philippians because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So if you have a pen, there's some on the end of the aisle. Um, If you like to write in your Bible, I've done this in mine. I crossed the word if out and wrote since because that's a little bit better understanding of, of Paul's intention here. Okay, so let's take that word if out and write since. So Paul says, since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, what is it? Since you have comfort from his love, since you have fellowship with the Spirit, since you have tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. And then what does he say? Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. That kind of sounds like single-mindedness to me, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like Paul saying, hey, make my joy complete by being single-minded. Because you have... You have encouragement with Christ. You have comfort from his love. You have fellowship with the spirit. You have tenderness and compassion. You have all those things because you have your faith in Jesus Christ. Now make my joy complete. Make my joy to the full by being like-minded, having the same spirit, being one in spirit and purpose. And this is what he says. Here's how we get there. Here's where he begins the roadmap. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. What Paul is saying here is is that the submissive mind begins with genuine humility. The first characteristic of a submissive mind is genuine humility. He says, each of you should, should, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Now, here's the thing about humility. It's been well said that humility is not thinking meanly of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all, right? Humility is not, oh, I'm I'm not that good, right? It's not when you get down on yourself. That's not genuine humility. Genuine humility is when you put the needs of others before your own, before you even think of yourself. And my wife, I I cannot think of a better example of humility uh, than when we had our triplets, when we first had our triplets, I wish I could say I was the perfect husband that changed all the diapers and got up for all the feedings, but I wasn't. And, you know, she sacrificed so much sleep because it meant taking care of the children. She put the needs of the children, and she continues to do that. Like, she will not buy clothes for herself. I, if she gets new clothes, it's because I went out and bought them for her because she's like, well, the kids need this, the kids need this, and the kids need this. And so she gives and gives and gives. Her first thought is always of the kids and of me. Like She she just exemplifies what it means to be humble and to put the needs of others before yourself. Um, So thank you for being a great example of that to me. Uh, Wish I could live up to that. Um, But he says, you know, genuine humility. And then he's going to give us an example. And here's the thing about humility. You can write this down. Humility is like underwear. It's essential. But it's indecent if you go around showing it off to other people. All right, we all need underwear, but we don't go showing it off to other people. It's the same is true with humility. We all need humility, but you can't go showing it off to other people. I love the story of Bob Hope was given a medal by John F. Kennedy after his work with the USO in World War II. And um, somebody was asking him about this, this very special medal that he gets from the president. And he says, you know, I feel very humble, but I think I have the strength of character to fight that. I just love that. I love that mindset of, you know what, I feel humble, but I'm going to fight that feeling. I'm just going to be humble. So let's see this example that Paul lays out for us. He uses Jesus Christ as the best example of humility. In verse 5, he says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. What Paul is talking about here is that Jesus Christ, when he was in heaven, he is God. He has all the rights that God should have. He has all the abilities that God should have. He has all the, the honor and respect that is due him because he's God. Yet, he humbled himself. He set those things aside and said, I'm going to become a man. I'm going to take the form of a servant because that's what mankind needs. They need God in the flesh. And I'm going to do that. And he says he, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. God, who created all things, who created man, who sustains their very life, chose to set all of his privileges aside and become a man who would live a sinless life and die on the cross to pay my penalty and to pay your penalty. Not because it benefited him in some way. In fact, if you read those chapters before he goes to the cross, this was not something that he was looking forward to, but he knew it had to be done for the good of all mankind. And so he does it in humility, obediently following after God, not once sinning in his entire life as to bring honor and glory to God, so that he would be able to pay that penalty. It says, Therefore, because of this, because of his obedience to God, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I love these verses, because they remind us again, Paul's reminding the the Philippians again that, look, even the people that are giving you a hard time now, they want to they give you a hard time about believing in Jesus Christ. They want to mock your faith. Don't worry, because the day is coming when Jesus Christ comes again that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't have to worry about that. They're going to know it's true. They're going to know that it's true. Because God has exalted Jesus to the highest place because of his humility because of his genuine humility, taking on the form of a servant. Let's go on. Paul says, therefore, so using Christ as the example, because Christ is our example, and because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you're saved through faith in him. Therefore, my dear friends, if you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purposes. Now, this is what we see here, that first characteristic of a submissive mind is that genuine humility, that we would be genuinely humble. As Jesus was genuinely humble, he didn't take any privileges for himself, even though he was God and he could have. He set that all aside to serve others and to serve above all God by serving others. Right? That's our model. That's our example is that genuine humility of Jesus Christ. The next thing we see is obedience. Put it another way, the pursuit of God's purposes. Right? Paul says that we're to work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We're to be in pursuit of God's purpose. Right? We've got this sign up here, Route 66. You want to pursue God's purpose? You want to know what God's purpose for your life is? Well, Route 66, guess how many books there are in the Bible? 66, right? This is your route. This is how you get there. You, you begin studying scripture. It speaks to every area of your life that you could ever imagine. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, pois- piercing the, s- the soul between uh, soul and spirit and joint and marrow. Right? We look to God's word, and it gives us the direction that we need to go pursuit of God's purposes for our life. Obedience is what Paul calls us to. Now I know as as Americans, this idea of obedience doesn't sit well with us. We don't like to, we like to be civilly disobedient. We like to be independent. If I'm obedient, that means I'm following somebody. That means I'm submitting to somebody and we don't like that. We like to be independent. In fact, my wife and I just uh, celebrated our 10 year anniversary. We went to the Alamo. And uh, I mean, to me that is like, the, the bastion of independence, like Texas, war for independence. We're gonna do our own thing. We're Texans. We do our own thing. We don't listen to anybody. That's how we are. But Paul is calling us to a different standard. He says, pursue God's purposes for your life. Then you'll find joy. As I thought about this this week, it reminded me, you know, kids don't know any better. They find joy in pleasing their parents. Our kids run in every morning 7 or 7.30, they run in and they're like, mommy, daddy, I kept my undies dry all night and I stayed in bed all night. Like they know that what we expect of them and what we're asking them to do, like we want them to stay in bed all night, that they, once they're in bed, they don't get up and get out and get back in bed. It's like, you're in bed, you stay in bed. And they come in and they run in and they're so excited. They have such joy because they've obeyed. And they know that that's going to bring joy to mommy and daddy, that they've done something that pleases their parents. This is the same mindset that we ought to have, that God lays out for us his expectations. These the, the scripture is not a list of do's and don'ts to keep us from having fun or to keep us from experiencing the things of this world, the joy that God has for us. No, God lays these things out for us so that we'll know what brings him joy, and by doing them, we can experience that same joy. He lays it out for us. Paul says this. He says, work out your salvation. Now, it's important that we notice it says work out, not work for, right? You cannot work for your salvation. You have to work out your salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that word work out that he uses there is really, uh, he's saying work in such a way that you could show the results of your salvation. Like you are already saved. You are already in Jesus Christ. Now live and work in such a way that everyone else around you will see it, that there would be no mistake who you belong to. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That fear is a reverence. It's not like I'm afraid that if I do something wrong, God's going to strike me with lightning, but it's a reverence for God. Have a reverence for God. That trembling, I love this. The word for trembling there is, is, uh, it's like trembling in weakness. In weakness, like you can't do it on your own. What a great reminder that we're to work out our salvation, not in our own strength, which Paul reminds us later. He says, for it is God who works in you. The word there, for God works, is a different word for works earlier. The word that he uses for God working in you is, is the word that we get our word energy from. He's saying, let God energize you for his goodwill for his good purposes. Let God energize you. Let God's strength be the one that drives you. He goes on and he says this. He says in verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. So a couple of words there. He says, do everything without complaining. That word complaining means bad attitude is what it really refers to. He says, do everything without a bad attitude. Do it in a right attitude, not in an attitude of, of complaining and grumbling. And he says, or arguing. The word that he uses there is a legal term. Now, some Some people already will remember from last week that there were a couple problems in the Philippian church. They weren't perfect, and a lot of scholars believe that perhaps one of the problems the Philippians were having was that they were taking each other to court, and they were suing each other over these small matters. And Paul, I think, intentionally uses this term. He says, do it without arguing, using a legal term. He's saying, stop taking each other to court. Because here's what you have to realize. The world is watching you. As a believer, the world is watching not just you individually, but how you interact with each other. And it breaks my heart every time I read uh, statistics that show the number one thing that keeps people from becoming Christians are Christians themselves. They look at the church and they say, all you guys do is fight. You fight over the color of the carpet, whether you're going to have carpet or tile. You fight over how bright the light should be, how loud the music should be, what kind of music it should be, what version of the Bible. I don't want to be a part of that. I got enough fighting in my own life. Paul says this. He says that we're to be blameless and pure. If you remember back to verse one, chapter uh, chapter one, verse ten, he says, "Be pure and blameless." He uses two completely different words here. He says, "Be blameless," and that doesn't mean perfect. That just means be above reproach. So that you would live in such a way that if anyone would come to you and say, uh, would accuse you of something, that everyone else around you would say, that is no way that Charlie kicked that dog. That is not in his character, right? And then he says, be pure. The word that he uses describes uh, untainted wine, like strong drink or metal that has not been mixed with a weaker metal. He's saying, be strong, be pure, Don't be deluded by anything else around you in this crooked and depraved generation. I love, one author says it this way, uh, a book that I read uh, called The Tangible Kingdom. He talks about whimsical holiness. Whimsical holiness. I think of whimsy, I think of Disney World. Like, there's just this whimsy about Disney World that little kids, they may have seen one or two Disney movies and then they, all of a sudden they see this commercial for Disney World, and they want to go to Disney World. Because like they've never been there. All they know is that I want to go to Disney World. I don't know what it is. I heard the word Disney. I like the Disney movies. I want to go to Disney World. Like There's this whimsy about it. There's something magical, this, this feeling of, of they can't describe it. They don't know what it is, but they can't stay away from it. Like, that's the way we should be as Christians. We should live in such a way that we have this whimsical holiness that we're not looking down our noses at people saying, oh, no, you did that, you sinned, I caught you, shame, shame, shame. No, we should have this holiness about us that people look at us and say, I want that. I don't know exactly what that is, but I want it. I want to be a part of that. I don't know exactly how these people are related They don't look like brother and sister or brothers or or father and son, but they have some bond that I want to be a part of. I want to be in on that. So we pursue God's purposes in that. And Paul says this. He goes on in verse 16. He says, To hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not labor or run for nothing. And he says that word hold out is a beautiful word. In the, in the secular term, this is the word that would have been used like you're holding out a drink to offer it to your guest. He says, hold out the word of life. Hold out the gospel as to offer it to your guests. Let me ask you, who are you offering the gospel to in your life? Who are you offering the chance to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ? We want to be offering out the words of life. We're going to have a beautiful picture of that this afternoon when we head down to Blue Hole. Erin's uh, going to be baptized and you're going to get to hear some of her testimony that of how she came to Jesus Christ and, and that's a beautiful picture of how we, we offer out the words of life. Are you holding out the words of life to the people around you? Are you offering it to them? Giving them the chance to see here and respond to that life changing reality? The last thing that Paul says in this section is this. He says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice of service coming from your faith, I am glad and what? I rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is is saying this. The drink offering was something that came at the end of the burnt offering in the Old Testament. And it would be poured of the burnt offering kind of as a completion of the offering like now we're done. And Paul's saying, look, if my life is being poured out, like I'm about to die, if I do die, my life is poured out in in service to you guys, let that be the finishing touch. Just let that be the finishing touch to your service and sacrifice. That word sacrifice and service there, uh, a lot of scholars look at that and they say a better translation is sacrificial service. Like they're serving in such a way that it costs them something. I love the story in the Old Testament of David, and he's presented with a plot of land and and, um, given the opportunity to make sacrifices. The man, he comes to, he says, here, take all this stuff and make a sacrifice to your God. And David says, no, I need to pay you for it. I'm not going to make a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. I'm not going to offer something to God that doesn't cost me anything. This is the third characteristic of of the submissive mind. We have genuine humility, we have the pursuit of God's purposes and last we have sacrificial service to God and others. And I would rather phrase it this way, sacrificial service to God by serving others. Right? When we serve others, we're we're really serving God and we ought to be serving in the name of God, having that that single-minded mindset. That when I serve my neighbor, when I serve my coworker, I'm really serving God. And I'm serving to the purpose to be able to bring them to a relationship with God. Paul, Paul has already used Jesus as the greatest example of this sacrificial service. Jesus gave his life. He died on the cross for our sins. That was not an easy thing to do. And then he goes on and he uses Timothy as an example. In verse 19, he says, I hope to send, uh, in the Lord to send you Timothy. I am also cheered when I receive news about you. And then he says, I have no one else like him. Speaking of Timothy, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, this is the key, for everyone else looks out for his own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Like Timothy has taken a real interest in the people. He's taken a real interest not just in their welfare, but in the name of Jesus Christ. He serves Jesus Christ. He's making sacrifices along with Paul. He's there with Paul. And Paul says, I'm hoping to send him to you so that you can be encouraged, so that he can encourage you. And then Paul uses another man named Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus is only mentioned here, and the only information that we get is that he was sent to the Philippians to carry a gift um, to Paul, like something to sustain him, you know, when you were in Roman house arrest, then you still had to buy your own food. And so they send him a gift so that he can have food. And they send Epaphroditus. The word that's used means, uh, it's the word where we get liturgy from. So it's like they send him to be Paul's priest, to minister to Paul. And I love the way Paul describes him. Paul describes him as a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. Sadly, for Epaphroditus, he got sick to the point where he almost died. And Paul says, look, he was worried because he heard that you guys are worried about him being sick and almost dying, so I'm sending him back. I've got to send him back because both of you guys are worried about each other and it's, it's not good, but I want you to know that don't think for a second that Epaphroditus wimped out on me. Like, he didn't ask for this. I'm sending him back for your sake. He didn't ask for this. Like, in fact, I want you to honor men like him because he's my fellow worker and my fellow soldier. Look at verse uh, Uh, 25. He says, It's necessary for me to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And then in verse 29, he says, Welcome him in the Lord with great, what? Joy, and honor men like him. When Paul says that Epaphroditus is my fellow worker, it means that he's sharing in the work of the gospel. When he says that he's my fellow soldier, It means that he's out there fighting the darkness with me. He's fighting to advance the gospel. He's in the trenches with me. Now I know as Christians a lot of times we we spend time praying for the lost. And in fact we may come across a lost person who doesn't know Jesus. And it breaks our heart and we start crying and we we weep for the lost, and then we feel good about ourselves because, oh yeah, I've got a heart for the gospel. I weep for the lost. Maybe it's time we stop weeping for the lost and we get up and we become fellow soldiers and we fight for the lost. That's sacrificial service. Getting out there, arm in arm, fighting for the lost, realizing that we're gonna come home with bumps and bruises, and we may even get deep scars, but we're gonna lock arms together and we're gonna push back the darkness and we're gonna pierce the darkness, holding out the word of life. That sacrificial service, which honors God by serving others. We have a lot of needs at, here at River Rock Bible Church, and, and I know some of you, uh, uh, you love to come. I uh, don't know why you like sitting in the preaching time. This is probably where you catch up on your sleep, but um, you come, you enjoy the service, and then you go home. And if that's all you're doing here at River Rock, I want to challenge you, you're missing out on so much. There is so much that God has for you to experience. One of the best things... Um, is, is community group. This is a chance to connect with other believers, not just for the sake of connecting, but so that they can serve you and experience God's joy and that you could serve them and experience joy in serving them. And so that together, you can serve your neighbors. You can serve your coworkers and experience that joy. And then your neighbors and coworkers can experience that whimsical holiness that would draw them into relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only that, we have places to serve on Sunday morning. Neil and, and Ed have been serving faithfully on our AV team. Uh, I, there's a little bit of technology involved, but I'm pretty sure if you can send an email and you know how to work your smartphone, like they can train you, and they're willing to train you. In fact, um, in a couple weeks, um, Neil and Karen are going to be leaving. They've bought a house in Austin. Neil got a job in Austin, and they bought a house down there. Um, so we need people to step up, and it may not be your favorite place to serve, but Can you make that sacrifice? Can you say, look, I'd rather do something else, um, but I'm going to make this sacrifice. What is it that maybe God is calling me to give up so that I can do this? What is it that God may be calling me to give up so that I can serve in children's ministry? What is it that God may be calling me to give up? Is he calling me to give up some time in front of the TV so that I can invest in my neighbors? That's sacrificial service give something up in order to serve God by serving others. Now, the funny thing about this map, um, I searched all week for a road map. I looked all over town. I went to Walmart. uh, I went to auto parts store, and I was everywhere. I was trying to find a road map. I walked in. I was like, do you guys sell road maps? No, we don't. I went to 7-Eleven. Everywhere I went, nobody sells road maps anymore. And this morning... I was still, I went back to Walmart, uh, hoping that maybe someone else knew where, where they had roadmaps. Um, I went to more uh, stop-and-shop places, you know, gas stations to try to find a roadmap. And nobody has them. Nobody has them. And then as I was coming out of AutoZone, um, God said, Chuck, look in your truck. And I was like, there's not going to be, God calls me Chuck, by the way. Um, uh And and I was like, there's not going to be a map in my truck. I haven't used a map in like 10 years since we moved to Massachusetts. What does everybody use nowadays? GPS, right? You have GPS on your cell phone. Well, take a look at your notes. Take a look at your notes. If you took notes, you'll see that the roadmap to joy, the submissive mind, to remember that, just remember GPS, genuine humility, pursuit of God's purposes, sacrificial service, GPS. GPS. That's your roadmap to joy. These three characteristics, if we can be faithful in doing these three things, I truly believe that God will honor us. He will honor our efforts to please him and to pursue his purposes. And we'll find that joy that we're looking for.